Well, good morning, you, all of you. Third week into the new year, I think that Beacon's going to become a busy bee congregation over this next year. I just feel that in my gut, in my spirit. There's a lot that God has got for us in this coming year. And uh, we'll talk about that a little bit more uh, just later. But um, last week was what we sort of called a bit of a one-off, but we felt it very important. And Rob, you remember, just to remind you, Bob brought that very essential message to us of how fundamentally important it is to connect with the Holy Spirit of God. We know Jesus as Saviour. We know Jesus as Saviour and we enter into all that he's done for us and the wonderful gospel of God brings us the news of salvation and brings us into the church, birth in time, in history, for people to connect with. But essentially, too, there's that fundamental place of connecting with the Holy Spirit. I know churches that do not connect with the Holy Spirit, and there is a difference. The fundamental important of connecting with the Holy Spirit. I'd love to see a baptism of the Holy Spirit here this morning. Again, that's why we come together, isn't it? We sometimes, we just try to think of it as a personal experience, but as Bob shared last week, it's far more than that. It's far more than that. He's doing great and wonderful things in our world, in our time, and we've got to expect, and we should expect, more things in our day of what God is up to. Well, that was what we sort of called a one-off, but Steve started off the year continuing with our preaching series in Luke's Gospel, and that's where we're picking up this morning. And uh, you might remember that Steve um, spoke about the story of Zacchaeus, the little man who ran ahead and climbed the sycamore tree to see Jesus. And uh, our passage this morning, which is in Luke um, 11... Sorry, Luke 19, uh, beginning at verse 11. We've gone past Luke 11, haven't we, a long time ago. Um, But there we go. So before I read this in a minute, I'm going to pray and just ask for God's help. Lord, this is a privileged place to be this morning not only because we're met and drawn together by the name and the power of Jesus and to connect afresh in a together way with the Holy Spirit. It's a privilege to be here because we're sat before the creator of the whole universe, sitting on this globe, hanging on nothing, upheld by your word, the word of your power. The earth and the sun and the moon, all by which we actually live our lives. And we're amazed afresh this morning, be freshly amazed, Lord, at your greatness and the wonder of your fingers. He created the stars also. Lord, let this time together 
be a power encounter with your greatness and your goodness. This morning in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you're following the reading, it's in uh, Luke 19, verses 11 to 27. And I mentioned the story of Zacchaeus just now because our reading starts off this morning by saying this, as they heard these things, what things? Well, at the end of that story, there's that dynamic point in Zacchaeus' life where he stood up. Jesus stood up in the temple to read the scriptures. Other, the priests of old stood before the Lord. And when people stand, they want to make a declaration. We, we stand during worship and praise, and that's part of our declaration, with those of us who can stand anyway, um, and get up off our chairs. But that's, that's neither here nor that. But we're standing in our spirit. He was making a declaration before these people. And Jesus was saying, look, he's just declared, he's just declared what he's going to do with his life. And Zacchaeus stood and he said, look, Lord, I've taken money away from people. I've dishonored the poor. I've become wealthy because of it. And now I want to make restitution for it. I want to make changes, Lord. And because Zacchaeus was standing there saying these things, and what Jesus was saying, it, our passage begins, as they heard these things, they were, seeing, they were seeing the kingdom of God at work. They were seeing the power of the kingdom of God at work, the power of Jesus and changing people's lives. And that's no different today. We're seeing the power of God changing people's lives. And we should also always be interested in God changing our lives. There's always changes to be made. And when those changes are made, it's good to make declaration about it. This is what God has done for me. He has made me glad. Has he? Really? <laughs> He's made us glad. He's made us full of hope for the future in a fallen and broken world. Amen. What a wonderful saviour we have. So as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem, and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was appear to, to appear immediately. Supposition is not a good thing when you're dealing with God. He has reality to give us and truth to give us, stuff that we can rely on. And um, so this is a sort of a context, you know. They didn't really know what was going on. You know, thinking back to the Christmas story, which was only bit three weeks ago now, wasn't it, we was, was doing that. You know, the people who should have known that Jesus was coming didn't seem to really know what was going on. And yet the Magi, way back there in a far country, they knew what God was up to. They knew God was up to something. And they didn't ignore that, even though they were able to... I mean, God gives signs in the heavens to people on earth, and that's the way they lived. 
and they were following those signs. They were following truth they may have picked up from somewhere. And there was the affirmation, where is he that is born king? That's so amazing. They made quite an awful journey, I would imagine it was, and probably spent hundreds of thousands dollars, money, whatever it was in those days, denarii or minas, which is in this parable. They spent all that money to get to the one who was going to be born king. When we say we have faith, what do we do? What is, what, how do we show that faith? How do we declare that faith? So, God's not interested in people who just suppose things. He's dealing with truth and reality. So they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas or minors and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, we don't want this man to reign over us. And when he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little. You shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Then another came saying, it's interesting, this third servant, there's more said about this third servant than the other two. Then another came saying, Lord, here's your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, I will condemn you with your own words. You're a wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then... Did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Really? This gentle Jesus, meek and mild, speaking here? But just to make the point, we must remember, and it's the only way that we can connect with this parable, that Jesus has not made any comments about this parable. He's just told the story. He hasn't said, this is what I say unto you, or the kingdom of heaven will be like. 
He's just told a parable. And it only gives us the reason why he told the parable. And the reason was that people supposed that the kingdom of God was going to happen immediately. And that's the reason why Jesus. But to try and fit that into the parable story is not an easy thing. And it's not an easy thing to understand the end bits of the story either. Very often, children are brought up to uh, think of Jesus being meek and mild. But if we hold on to this parable, this, the whole of those words, there's no comments from Jesus. They're just the story, and we need to remember that. It's the only way we can really connect with it. i tell you for why. Well, well I'm going to make a few comments and I'll put a little bit into context, and then... At the end, I'm going to sort of relate it to us personally and also to Beacon uh, in the way that I will explain later. But let's just have a look and have just a, a ponder, a think, and to try and put it in context. And uh, first of all, I just want to just remind us a parable usually conveys an overall meaning to those who are hearing. And we have seen that there were people hearing. There would be elements of the parable which would connect with different groups of people. A parable could also seem like nonsense to others who may be disinterested or critical. And I think this is a parable you could quite easily become disinterested in. Um, and the fact that I was thinking of my 77 years of sitting under the preaching, gospel preaching, or preaching for the word of God, I've never actually heard this parable preached on. Before of those years, I wouldn't have known anyway. But um, I just sat down and suddenly thought, I've heard people preach on the similar story in Matthew's Gospel, which is not the same, it's a different account, but it's very similar in different ways. But I've never heard this, this parable preached on before. So I think a lot of people are disinterested in it. But, um, so in that, we've got to shift it out and see how we can use this for us this morning. The first thing I want to say, it's a mysterious parable. It's like trying to complete a jigsaw with a piece which actually from a different puzzle. You come to the end of doing the puzzle and you just want to complete it and the last bit you've got is actually from another puzzle. It's like mysterious like that because in some ways it just doesn't fit into where we are now as a gospel-believing people in that Jesus has died for us and given his life for us and been resurrected again. But it has very strong pointers to the kingdom of God. So it's a mysterious. Jesus doesn't say the kingdom is like, or I say to you, therefore. And he doesn't make comments on it. He just tells a story. In fact, read correctly, Jesus doesn't make any comment, only giving the reason why he tells it, taking the opportunity while lots of people are still watching and listening for the drama of Zacchaeus' encounter with him. It's a bit of a knuckle duster of a parable. Jesus pulls some very hard punches in this parable. He talks of a king who had subjects that hated him, and those enemies were actually declared to be enemies of the king. And those enemies of the king were ultimately slaughtered. That's a very big punch to pull, and it's very strong. 
But let's just look to the other side for a moment. I don't read anywhere of God punishing people by slaughtering them. Just remember, this is a parable. God sort of endorsed slaughter of enemies of God through his people in Old Testament times. And God is a God of war as well as a God of love. But God is dealing with a sinful world, a broken world, and up against thousands and thousands of people who are rebelling against him. That's a difficult subject to cover, and I'm not going to cover that. But it's just to consider. In all of the Bible theology, I don't read of God slaughtering anybody as a way of punishment. But I do read of a God who said there is place where there's no pardon for you. There's no pardon for you. And that should cause us to seriously think about where we stand before God and how our lives are. And I think Jesus is drawing this out, isn't he? So he's pulled some hard punches. It's like a reality program. The narrative of characters and their activity parallel real things in God's kingdom program. But there's also a corrective note to it. A corrective objective against what they thought. But I do so, I see misconceptions in this parable. People with misconceptions. And we'll look at those just a little bit later on. It's a reality program with parallels in the kingdom of God. And let's face it, the kingdom of God wasn't about to be established. But people thought it was. There's very people today have misconceptions about when Jesus is going to cut return and what he's going to do when he comes, and misconceptions about that. So we live in the context of misconceptions. And Jesus was addressing those misconceptions, or at least one of them anyway. The kingdom of God wasn't going to come then. Ask yourself this question, when do you think Jesus was crowned? If he was to be crowned. A story tells us about a king who went, sorry, a nobleman who went into a far country to be made king or to be crowned and then returned. That's in the parable, that's in the story. When do you think Jesus was crowned? He is crowned anyway. When he was born, he was born king. That's what the Magi said, wasn't it? Where is he that is born king? I don't really read of any sort of coronation or celebration to that point. The only time we really find a crowning of him as king is a mock celebration when he was crowned with a crown of thorns and he was dressed in a purple robe and the reed was put in his hand. That was a mock celebration of crowning him. But we know that that is not that. The day we celebrate the king, who is a king of kings, crowned with many crowns. It's a shocking story. And I think Jesus is like using a crowbar to shock people, to get stubborn people to see sense and truth. This is the darkest strand in the story. And it concerns the citizens 
who don't want this man to be their king. And it's a story, a parable with a twist. What's some overriding points in this parable? It's we all should expect to be accountable in one way or another. We could ask ourselves, well, what do the what does the one what does the doctor the meaners represent? I don't think Jesus is talking about wealth creation here, although it is an important part in God's church. And some of us try and opt out of that sometimes. We should be a church that's seeking to fund and forward the kingdom of God. There is a point there, isn't there? But the story is not about wealth creation. It's about accountability for those entrusted with the stewardship of kingdom resources. But there are some differences between the people that lived then and us living here now. And ultimately, we've got to come to the point, well, what does it mean to us? How does it mean to us? Jesus was talking about accountability. And we could say, well, what could these... What could these meaners represent? I mean, the, the meaners could represent faith. We, we are born with the ability to believe. And with that belief, we can either trust in God or like in the story, we could reject him and turn away from him. And that is based on faith. Animals haven't got the ability to believe like we have. They they can see and work around where their next meal is coming from quite easily. Or when they go out for a walk and stuff like that. But God, we are unique. We're God's creation. And we're born with the ability to believe, to trust So faith, the meanest, could could be faith. What else could the one meanest mean? It could mean we've given we're only given one life to live. They were each given one meaner. It could be one life we're given to live. And if or not, we're accountable for that life given to us to live. How we live that life could be that. But ultimately we're accountable. Accountable to whom? And this is where I turn back to last week. We have been given the deposit of the Holy Spirit. It could be that we're accountable to how we receive and treat the Holy Spirit. Could be that. Whatever it is, it has an investment value be traded with, to be used. I'm expecting there are going to be tongues this morning and prophecy and praise and healing, signs and wonders which are all in God's church. They all have investment value, a value that others are interested in to reinvest. Could it be the gospel of salvation. Could this mean that we're given this responsibility sharing the gospel of salvation with other people? The fact is that 
when we go from here today, we're walking out with a high value on our lives to be responsible in the kingdom of God because ultimately there's accountability for what we do with what we've been given. So it could be those things. Now I just want to look to us as beacon. There's lots I could say about that, but I'm leaving out a big chunk. What specific values do I think have been placed in Beacon's hands? Well, first and foremost, well, not about first and foremost, but there is a priority. One of the things that have been placed in Beacon's hands is prayer. And that's a responsibility for which we'd be accountable at some stage. But you see, there's, there's, so, there's value in prayer. These servants in the story were given a mina because there was value in it. And they reinvested it and gained 10 more. And as one man said, he said, more can be gained by prayer than any other thing in the life of a believer. So let's think about that as we, end, as we go through 2023. I think Steve has said to me that talking to other leaders in other churches, they are envious of our pattern of prayer. So I think that's good, but it's something we need to continue at. Let us learn to understand what the true value of prayer is. Praying. Sometimes we think it's insignificant, but God wants to hear you. He wants to hear your heart. He wants to hear your desires. He wants to hear my desires. Let's pray about it. Prayer is one of those things that's been given to us that can be invested that brings a return. What's the next thing? Oh no, I just remind you of the verse in Acts 2 because it's in the foundation, the bedrock foundation of the authentic church. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, breaking of bread and prayer. That's how the early church, the infant church, grew and became important. The bedrock of prayer. Number two, not in any particular order as they say, is the Holy Spirit. Can you think back to last week when Bob spoke about the baptism of the Holy Spirit? From last week, there should have been an investment value from that, using what we know and have come to understand of the Holy Spirit. And I know some of you had an encounter with God through the Holy Spirit last week. What have you done with it since last week? Have you invested it? Have you used it? Have you prayed about it? Have you followed it up? Having known, we have now become accountable for what we understand. That's that investment value. Fruit of the Spirit, gifts of the Spirit, signs and wonders. 
fall apart of the church and the manifestation of the spirit within the church. The third thing I want us to think about again is, and I'm taking this back, and these are just reminder points really, is what God has put in our hand for the children and youth in this coming year. Well, when we took up the offering, we never thought that so much would be given into the work of the children and the young people. But he did. You were a blessing. We're all a blessing to this church who gave into that work. But we can't leave it there. It has to be invested. We've invested in Mel and Vanessa. And we need to know that that has value. It's an investment that will grow more than anything by blessing our children and young people. We have got the opportunity to bless so many young lives in letting them understand the love of Jesus and to know who he is, to hear the stories of Jesus. I'm so, I consider myself so privileged to have so young to hear stories week by week by week by week about Jesus. Gives you a firm faith and a firm foundation in your life. Schools have opted out a lot, largely, of telling Bible stories and they've put them in comparison, maybe, alongside other things, but to learn to know about Jesus and his great love. What a wonderful thing that is. So I just wanted us to think, that's the king has placed in Beacon's hand something so valuable. The third servant, when he was given the mina, because he didn't understand, he misunderstood the character, or the true character of the king, and so he did nothing with what he'd been given. And we don't want to be like that, do we? We want to use that responsibly. That's responsibly what God has given us as Beacon Church, Beacon Community, is to work with the kids and the young people and to pray about it and follow it up. Number four is gospel things, things that tend to reach out to people. This is a responsibility God's placed in our hands to reach out to others. So there's tots and tea and parents share, our neighbours, all events with the aim of reaching others. This is the mean that God has placed in our hand. It is an investable thing. It creates more when we share it in God's kingdom and for his kingdom and ultimately for his glory. Jesus is the more glorified, isn't he? As people hear about him and his love. These are the meaners I believe God has placed in our hands. Tots and tea, parents share, neighbours, all events with the aim of reaching others. And then serving Serving the poor is number five. CAP, Christians Against Polity, which John is working hard with and different clients, reaching out. These are biblical principles. These are what is said in Acts 2, the apostles' doctrine. Serving the poor is all part of what God wanted, but it's a mina. It's what God has placed in our hands to do and to invest Serving the poor, food bank, cap, Compassion UK. I know some people 
support cash, you know, kids in Compassion UK. And this is all gospel reaching the poor. These are the things that God has placed in our hands. And let's, let's realize what value there is in them and be encouraged in that to give a bit here to someone and to write a letter there to someone. These are demeanors. So I'm just going to leave you some challenging verses or writings from the Bible. In one place, Jesus said, Occupy till I come. All what we do is in view of his return at some stage where the accountability will take place. And he will want to see the return on our investment. And the rewards for that. Not that we do things for rewards, but it's an amazing part of God's love and goodness for us. The reward is people. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him and who diligently serve him. He is a rewarder of those that do that. Occupy till I come. And the other one is, I, I think it's from the Old Testament somewhere, but I know that since a child I've heard it spoken about time and time again. It's whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Now, <laughs> Paul writing to the Thessalonian church, it had to address laziness in the church. We can't afford to be lazy in God's kingdom. He expects us to work, to reinvest our talents, to put them to work while we have the opportunity to do so. Whatever that is, it's all for his glory and for his kingdom. So I think this, this story is a lot about accountability as we look into it and read about it. But I want to finish with the twist in the story. The twist was the slaughter of those who were his enemies. And I said to you earlier, I don't find anywhere in the Bible of God personal Jesus slaughtering people as a means of punishment. But I just want to remind you of a verse that was said about Jesus. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before his shearers is dumb, so he opened and not his mouth. You see what he's saying, don't you? People were supposing in this parable, that's why he told it. And I could feel Jesus' heart as he told it. He was talking about people who would reject him and depose him and hate him. You could feel it. And he was going to the cross he was near to Jerusalem now and soon he would be hung on the cross for us. But it's this, Jesus took our place. He was the one that was slaughtered. I'll just give you a few moments just to think on that. How he stood in our place.
Maybe you just like to, before Steve comes back to, that we might continue to honour our Saviour. Just to give thanks to him for giving us the truth and sharing his life, giving his life for us on the cross that we might live.